We're in this series called More Than a Name. Um, we're leading up to Easter. So this series, we're going to go all the way to, uh, through Palm Sunday. Um, and something that you see um, in, in the Gospels is you see Jesus is constantly redefining, reshaping what people think about him. You know, like people think they have him figured out. And then he says something, he does something, and people think, well, like, who is this guy? I thought I had him figured out. I have this box up here because I think a lot of times we can put Jesus in a box, uh, just like we can put God in a box, and we think, okay, um, this is my Jesus. I, I, maybe for you, it's, I, I believe he's a good teacher. Uh, maybe for you, he is your personal savior. That's where you're at. Or maybe for you, he's, uh, he's this uh, historical figure that walked around. He's one of the ways to get to heaven. Or maybe he is your ticket to heaven, right? I mean, you're like, yes, I believe in Jesus. Do you have a relationship with him? Do you talk to him every day? Not so much, but I do believe in him. Um, or, or maybe he's someone you call to when you're in trouble. And, and maybe that's who he is. Uh, maybe when you're sick, that's when you cry out to him. Um, or, or maybe this is, the, this is the person that your parents are crazy about or your grandparents are crazy about. And you don't, really, you don't really get it. You don't know why, but you know he's there. You've heard of him. Before I came to know Jesus, um, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus but I kind of had a relationship with Jesus. You know what I mean? It's like I knew who he was, but I didn't have a tight relationship. I didn't, I didn't know him. So there was like, you know, sometimes we can look at Jesus and like, yeah, he was loving and caring and kind. And I like all of his virtues. He recycled. I'm sure he did because he was such a good person. But we don't really know him. And you can go to church and have Jesus in this box and thinking, okay, um, this is who he is. But then you think about stuff like, 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 does he really care when I lose my keys? You know what I'm talking about? Does he care like when I have a bad day? I mean, if I'm running late and it's my fault, does he really care like to get me there on time? I mean, come on. It's my, I mean, does he really care about things that, uh, you know, my dog is sick, and I feel weird praying about the, I'm not really, but I mean, situations like that, or you just went through a breakup, or you're, it's a heartache situation, or you've been hurt by someone, or someone said a word to you, and it just kind of sitting with you, or your marriage is not going well, and it's like, does Jesus care about that kind of stuff? Does he care about your business not doing well? Does he care about your professional career? Does he care about little things. Does he like care that there's like a rock in your shoe? Does Jesus care about that stuff? I think we can look at Jesus and put him in a box and say, Jesus takes care of this stuff, but he doesn't really care about this stuff. I've got marriage issues and sometimes we can go have marriage issues or work issues or financial issues and never, ever, ever, you know, open this box, so to speak. And we just try to fix it on our own, right? That's what we do. Or you can walk with God a long time. How many of you grew up in the church? Raise your hand if you grew up in the church. All right. That's a blessing. But also the other side of that is you can come to this place where you think, I got it all figured out. I know who he is. I've been walking. I've been a pastor now for about 30 years. Been walking with Jesus since I've been 18. 
and I don't have it all figured out. I'm still learning and growing. God continues to open up my mind to how big his unfailing love is. That's what he's been showing me over and over and over again. Whatever the situation, I like what Blaise Pascal said. He said, not only do we not know God except through Jesus Christ, we don't even know ourselves except through Jesus Christ. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? I think when we look at Jesus, typically the first stop is, okay, this is about, about a relationship with God, and I do believe he existed. I mean, there's, you know, non-Christians, historians who have talked about, yep, Jesus was an actual person that walked around this world and, you know, walked, and, and, and so I think the existence of Jesus is, is not so debatable, but... But when we look at him and we learn about him, and we're like, okay, I know it's related to God. You know, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity. So we kind of associate Jesus with our relationship with God, and that's very true. But what if our true identity is found only in our relationship with Jesus? I mean, what if the way you're shaped and wired, your personality and your, your, your makeup and your experiences, your preferences, you know, all those personality tests that you take and Myers-Briggs or whatever it is. But what if your truest sense of identity is found in Jesus Christ? I was talking to Grace. Um, I talk to her every day, my wife, Grace. And uh, I, I was talking to her, um, I don't know what day it was, a couple of, yesterday morning, I think it was. And I told her, you know what, baby? Um, I don't, it doesn't matter how much time I have to preach. Um, I, I don't think I'll do Jesus. I cannot possibly share everything about who Jesus is in one message or a thousand messages. He is so much more. He is so much more. So here's my hope. Wherever you're at today, my hope is that this box just opens up and you fall romantically, helplessly in love with this person who gave his life for you. That's my hope and prayer. He sees you. Let's look into John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, we're going to look in the middle of John chapter 8, and there's this one verse, verse 25, and... Uh, the, the religious leaders, there's something that happens in John chapter 8, and we're going to go over it, but I want to go right to the question. Verse 25, the question is, who are you? They demanded, and then Jesus replied, the one I've always claimed to be. Makes so much sense, doesn't it? Who are you? That's the biggest question you could ever answer. Here it is. Who is Jesus to you? That's bigger than, um, will you marry me? That's bigger than, what do you want to do for a living? That's bigger than, should we invest in? It's bigger than, should I start? Should I move? Whatever. Who is Jesus to you? Because that's a question that impacts your soul today. I mean, Jesus said there's nothing more valuable than your soul. 
And, and, and I know it's hard because sometimes, like, like when I talk to people and they're going through issues, whatever kind of issues they're all, I always start with the box. I start, well, tell me, let's talk. It starts with your relationship with Jesus. And almost always I see this like, um, okay, yeah, 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 you're the pastor. You're supposed to say that. But tell me what I should really do. And I understand what they're saying. But this is where it all starts. Let's put it this way. There's no way, it doesn't matter what church you go to, there's no way um, a church or a sermon or advice from a friend or a parent, there's no way you can go over every life scenario, right? But if you start here with your relationship with Jesus Christ, then everything else is taken care of. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. You start here first, and then the Lord has a way of taking care of everything, that grief and that hurt and that worry and that future and the unknown or whatever it is. But you start with Jesus first. And they ask Jesus, who are you? So let's look at what happened. Here it is, verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, oh, the Mount of Olives has so much history. I will have to cover that another time. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. Um, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Now, just put yourself in the shoes of this woman. This is horrible. I mean, can we just be honest? The last thing, when we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing and sinning, whatever it is, the last thing we want is that to be known public, right? Last thing we want, it would be horrible to, to, to uh, bring it out in the public. And I mean, you don't want that. You want to keep it private, don't you? You want to keep it private, keep it in the dark, and you don't want anyone to know. And this woman is brought out, and uh, she's thrown in the middle. And, and then they say, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Craziness. Now, who's on trial? Is it the woman? No. You know who's on trial? The wisdom of Jesus is on trial. And they're saying the law says stone her. They're right. In Leviticus chapter 20, it says, if a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman who committed adultery must be put to death. So they're right. But what is Jesus supposed to do? Think about it for a little bit. If, they, if Jesus says, yep, you're right, the law says this, let's stone her right now. Well, Jesus didn't come to this world to stone people. He came to save people. That's the day of grace, his mercy. So he came to become a sacrifice for our sin, and he shows up, and, 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 and they're saying, okay, this is what you should do. You should, this is, you, should, we should, you should stone her. So if you say yes, then you know what? You're going against your mission, right, to seek and save the lost. That's the mission of Jesus. But what if he says, um, no, don't stone her. Don't kill her. Well, now he's going against the Mosaic law. So he's between a rock and a hard place, right? 
his wisdom is on trial. So what does he do? He stoops down and he starts, you know, riding around in the, in the dust. I, I love this visual of Jesus because I, 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 I recognize something else. Who was the only one that was down at that level? It was that woman. And isn't it beautiful how our Savior gets down to our level sometimes, even in our mistakes and our regrets and our shame, and, our, and he will meet us there, and he shows his love there. Incidentally, where's the man in this story? All the ladies go, mm-hmm, you know what I'm talking about? Where's the man? Because the law said man and woman. See, she was just clickbait. She was just clickbait. And it's about the love of God. This situation right here, you see throughout the Bible. The devil is always trying to trap Jesus. He's always trying to trap Jesus. You see it as early in the garden in, in, in the book of Genesis. I mean, you see it early on, and you see this devil trying to, to put the love of God on trial, to put the love of Jesus on trial. And Jesus is in this place, and he's so wise. He just, he just sits down and starts drawing in the dust kind of thing. And then verse 7 says, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Ouch. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And it's so cool. Like Jesus has these mic drop, you know, comments that just like, well, he said a lot with that. You're right. Leviticus chapter 20 says that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. All right, let's get going. First one who doesn't have any sin, let him cast the first stone. And he goes back and, you know, draws hangman or whatever he's doing in the dust. He just keeps going. And then verse 9 says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with, with the who? With the, you know who's the oldest? Those are, old people like are 40 plus. They're really old and they can die any minute. But um, <laughs> I find it interesting that the older ones leave first. And I, I, someone who's over 40, I, I, I think it has to do with we become a little more reflective. We're more aware that every day is a gift from God, aren't we? We're more aware of our fragile bodies. We're more aware of our shortcomings and our sins and our mistakes. And we look back at life we're reflectively, what if, all that stuff. And so I get it why the older ones were like, not me. Not me. I, I wonder the sound of, I, I didn't have a, I, I should have brought a rock, but the sound of a rock falling out of that hand and hitting that ground, you know what she heard? Mercy. Grace. Wouldn't that have been a beautiful sound for her to hear? One, this one's not going to go her direction. This one's not going to be hurled her way. This one's not coming at her. This one she won't feel. And she's hearing the sound of these rocks falling on the ground. Glory to God. And, and they start slipping away, uh, beginning with the old, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. So eventually the younger ones looked at the older ones and said, 
you know what? Uh, <laughs> I know what happened last night. I know what I did. I can't do this, and I'm, I need to bail out of this too. And, and ultimately, only Jesus was left. Now, Jesus is the only one that had not sinned. He faced every temptation that you have faced. There's no temptation that you're facing that Jesus didn't face. And he's the only one qualified, really, to pick up a stone. But what, he, what, what does he do? He, he, he's the one standing there, and he's by himself. And verse 10 says, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Remember, he came to seek and save the lost. Thank you, Lord. And then he says these five incredible words. Let's read it together. Go, go and sin no more. This is a great story. This is a great story. Because you see the grace of God. I want you to hear this. Jesus is full of grace and truth. He's full of grace and truth. Our challenge a lot of times, and sometimes in our theology, when we look at this, we just hang out at this word grace. And we love it. And sometimes we can use that as an excuse or a license or freedom to do all kinds of things because we're under the grace of God. That's dangerous. That's really dangerous. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call that cheap grace. But he's also full of truth. So Jesus knew, yep, you know what, all those people, those spiritual leaders that accused her and said she was caught in the act of adultery, they were right. He's not dismissing that, but he extends grace toward her, and he says, neither do I. And then he tells her, go and sin no more. Some of you need to hear that, right? You need to hear that. Because we can, we can camp out on grace and, and camp out and sing songs, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I believe in embracing the grace of God. But you also have to know the other side of the coin is truth. The other side of it is, okay, now that you know, now that you've received this grace, because you've received this grace, because you, when, grace is undeserved favor, Grace is, I'm going to treat you in a way that you don't deserve. Grace is, I'm going to let you go even though you don't deserve it. And it's because of, certainly because of Jesus and ultimately because of the cross and the empty grave. But it, more than that, now you should be motivated because of Jesus. I'm going to live a different way. I'm going to live a different way. And he says, go and sin no more. And this is important for us to hear also because sometimes, you know, I've said it before, we have a tendency to judge others by their actions and judge ourselves by our intentions. We say, God, look at my intentions and look what I, you know who I'm, you know what, and we can excuse ourselves really, really well when it comes to our intentions. We're really good at that. But God expects obedience, decisions. He expects you to go and sin no more. What did this woman have to do, incidentally? Go and sin no more. What does that look like for this woman? You don't really hear a lot about this woman. We don't really know details. But my guess is she had, maybe she had to go home. 
I don't know, maybe the guy was still at her house or maybe he bolted and maybe there was a bunch of guys coming into her house and maybe her kids always saw a stream of guys coming in or, or maybe she you know, hung out wherever, I don't know. But we just know she was caught on the act of adultery and there was something that happened. Maybe she was married, I don't know. But she had to maybe go back and maybe approach people and say, hey, please forgive me. Please forgive me. That's a big deal. A lot of us don't like to do that because of pride. But it's biblical and it pleases God. And she had to go back and say, maybe she had to make some changes and maybe she had to go through her phone and delete some contacts or something. You know, maybe she had to go and unfriend some people that she had on Facebook or Instagram because she knew these relationships aren't good. And, and maybe she had to make some decisions. But that's what go and sin no more means. It's his passionate desire to, you know what, what is most important is I want to make sure Jesus is pleased with my life. I want to make sure he is pleased with my life and my decisions, and I don't want to live like that anymore. And then verse 12, Jesus, here's, here's one of the great I am's. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. Wow. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I am the light of the world. Uh, many years ago, we did a whole series on the seven I am's of John. And uh, in John, in the Gospel of John, and and you see them throughout. And the, we're we're not going to go through this whole thing, but just the first word I am is so powerful. I mean, God told Moses, "I am has sent you." It's a powerful, powerful word. And in in the Gospel of John, you read, "I am the bread of life." I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I mean, and of course, I am the light of the world. And they all mean something different. So I encourage you to look in the Gospel of John, and you can look at it, look it up. But when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, first thought that came to my mind is, how appropriate that this woman who's caught her act was caught, I mean, it was probably something that was happening in darkness, right? It was probably something that she didn't want to let the world know about. It was probably something that she was hiding from others, and, and she was caught in the act of adultery. So there's some secrecy behind there. And then I thought, well, how many times when we're doing things or saying things, the Bible calls it sin, how many times when we do things that we know are not God-honoring, we want to keep it a secret. We don't want anyone to know. We might lie. Where were you? I was over here. No, you weren't. What are you looking at? I'm looking at this. No, you're not. You know what I'm talking about? Can we just be real just a little bit? Christian, can we be real? We all need the grace of God. We all need the grace of God. In fact, when you're a Christian, I think sometimes it's worse because Christians know this is how I should live. So when they fall to sin, what do they do? Let me hide it because if anybody knows this is happening, oh, they're going to look at me differently. Right? Dad? Yeah. Mom? Man? Woman? Young man? Young woman? We all, Pastor? We all need the grace of God. 
So I think about this woman and this idea of she's living in this darkness. And I think this is just like Jesus. Jesus, when he goes through your house, like when I have my house, I have certain rooms I think are just, I don't know, a, a closet in my basement. You know, it's like there's certain rooms that are just are kind of dark. But uh, uh, darkness, uh, uh, darkness can be dark. <laughs> darkness can be dark. Um, uh, when I, uh, on, on, what day is it? I think it was on Thursdays or Fridays. When I come here to church and I work on the message, I work on the message throughout the week, but usually I'm by myself. Usually it's on Fridays. And I, I come into this room right here that we're at, and it's super dark. All the lights are off. Everything's off. And I've walked before, and I've like hit. Like I come over here, and, and and I lay down, and I pray, and I ask God to anoint this message, anoint me, and I do that just about every week. But you know, I've hit my my shins on the edge of this thing before. You know that because it's so stinking dark. So I have to turn on my little flashlight on my cell phone and. And walk around like that because I've, I've run into chairs and all kinds of stuff. When it's dark, you can't see anything. And I think about us spiritually. There's such a metaphor in the Bible about light and darkness throughout the Bible. In the beginning, the world was formless and void. And God said, let there be light, right? <clears throat> and I see this. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And you know what he's saying? I'm willing to flip the light on in that dark closet and be the light in this room. Glory to God. And when he does that, he shows his grace and his mercy. And he says, I'm going to deliver you from this place that you want to keep dark. You don't have to keep the lights off. I love you. I see you. I'm going to make you free in the name of Jesus. I'm, that's who Jesus is. That's what he does. And you know what the devil says? Oh, you got to hide. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? They hid, right? They covered themselves up. That was atonement. Well, we're getting theological today. That was atonement right there. And those, that was the first man's effort to atone for their sins right there. They covered themselves up. First effort in the Bible. And Jesus, of course, God says, like, where are you? It's like, come on now. He's God. He knows where they're at. I think Jesus does that sometimes. And he's like, you know, I know what you're hiding. I know what you're struggling with. I know that problem you have. I know that addiction. You're not calling it an addiction, but you can't go 30 days without it. I know. I know what it is. You call yourself a Christian, but I see you under the sheets. I got it. Jesus sees everything. And yet he says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. The other thing about this crazy thing is happens is Jesus, when he says, I am the light of the world, he does it in the midst of a Jewish festival. Um, and it's this pilgrimage that Jews take to Jerusalem. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's an eight-day festival. And the purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles is to remember um, how God took care of the Israelites while they were wandering in the wilderness, which incidentally was because of their sin because they were afraid to take the promised land. And God said, you scouted out for 40 days. Now you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But yet God didn't leave them. God was with them. So Feast of Tabernacles is a time for the modern Jews to come together every year 
and reflect on that. In fact, you know, we're, I'm here in Colorado, and I'm gonna, you know, they brought out their North Face and Marmot tents, so to speak. They were, they were these booths or shelters that they would make, and everyone would be in a tent for eight days. They would all live out in a tent. I know that's hard for some of you because you're out of that season, and you're in the Hilton season and not in the tent season anymore, but you would have to bring a tent. For eight days, you'd have to sleep on a mat on the ground, and the purpose behind this is that you don't forget the faithfulness of God while you were in the wilderness. Glory to God. We need to remember that. I mean, just as a side note, guys, we learn a lot of lessons when we're at the bottom and we're hungry and things are bad. But you know what the danger is? When things get really good in our life and we're taking vacations and the refrigerator is full, we could forget the lessons that we learned when we were empty. That's the danger. That's the danger. That was free. So, so, so anyway, so, uh, so, so during the Feast of Tabernacles, they would do this, and, and they, would, they would remember, and, and they, would, they would have these, what they call candelabras, which was like huge torches, 75 feet high. And they were just these flames, uh, these huge candles on fire in Jerusalem, 75 feet high. So all of Jerusalem there would be lit up by these candles. And those candles, these candelabras, were to represent how God was faithful to them even at the night, even in the darkness. While they were wandering in the wilderness, they were following a fire by night and a cloud by day. And they were remembering, oh, look at the light of the Lord. He took care of us and he guided us even when we were living in spiritual darkness. Even when we disobeyed him, he didn't depart us. He didn't leave us. He was faithful and he was with us. Now Jesus steps up in this in front of this backdrop of these, you know, 75-foot candles and this this whole thing is called the illumination of the temple. He steps up and he says, I am the light of the world. Did you feel that? Now, when the Jews get together, who is it for? It's for the Jews, right? This whole festival, Feast of Tabernacles, it's not for the Gentiles. It's for the Jews, God's chosen people. And they reflect on the faithfulness of God while they were in the wilderness they have 75-foot candelabras, the illumination of the temple. They have all of this. It's for the Jews. Jesus steps up. Remember, he, 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 he reached out. I mean, he showed love to that woman. And he says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And now he stands up and he says, I am the light, not of Israel. He certainly is. I am the light of the world. <sighs> and they're trying to figure out, oh, oh, oh. I thought, isn't Joseph your dad and your mama? It's Mary? What are you talking about? Jesus is constantly trying to reshape them. And I love this phrase, light of the world. I grew up, um, we didn't go to church a whole lot, but um, in my house, I knew where it was at. It was in my parents' bedroom, and they had this built-in cabinet, and it was on the very top shelf and it was typically under a whole bunch of magazines and all kinds of stuff up there. And I had, there was this Bible like this big. That was the only Bible in our house. 
and it was in my parents' room, in this built-in cabinet thing, and it was on the very top shelf. And I just remember seeing it all the time up there. We rarely pulled it out. I pulled it out, and I thought, wow, there's a lot of words in this thing. I don't know what this is about. But hey, look at these pictures in the middle of it. And I started flipping through, and I saw these pictures. And then I saw a picture of this person named Jesus. And you know what color he was? Any guess? What color was he in that Bible? He was a white Jesus. I'm not white. I don't know if you know that or not. I'm not white. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty much a mix. In my high school, you were black or brown. And if you were white, you, were, you, you felt odd. And, and I wish some of you could go through that experience so you know how I felt like. Feel like I feel like a raisin in a bowl of milk lots of times. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and I remember looking at Jesus and I thought, well, I, don't, I can't identify with him because I don't know what it's like to be white. I, I know. I mean, if you saw me naked, I'm not white. I'm just telling you. I'm not white. So I felt a little bit of a gap. But then, you know what I discovered later? I discovered some things. As I walked with God, I discovered Jesus was not white. Did you know that? He resembled the people of his day. He was most likely chocolate. I'm just telling you. (laughs) He was out in the sun. And then I discovered something else. The guy who helped Jesus with the cross, he was black. He was black. And you know what the Lord told me? Jesus is not a white man's savior. He's a brown man's savior, a black man's savior. Uh, He's a, a savior of Africa and Europe and Asia and North America. It doesn't matter where. He is the light of the world. Glory to God. Everyone's made in the image of God. <laughs> we all need the grace of God. I was so grateful for that. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Timothy Keller said, Jesus doesn't just say he reflects God's glory. He says he is God's glory. He offers himself as the only source of eternal life, truth, and happiness, inviting us to change our lives by following him. And verse 12, Jesus said, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Following means this. Following Jesus means you're no longer the most important person in your world. Jesus is. It's the daily process of losing your life, dying to yourself, and abiding in Christ Jesus. You have a higher calling to live out his purpose. And everything else is weak by comparison. Consequently, you know the difference between light and darkness and choose to walk in light. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, Christian, then the will of Jesus should be your top will. Spending time in the word of God, reading his teachings should be a daily, a daily habit. And you should spend time every day reading this book right here more than you do Instagram or Facebook or Twitter X, whatever it is, uh, you, spending time in the Word. In fact, you should care about everything you do in your life. Make sure it lines up with Jesus. Your relationships, 
your entertainment life, how you treat that stranger at King Supers, how you treat that barista, how you treat whoever it is, those who live with you, how you treat others. And the will of Jesus should be the top priority. In fact, you should be looking for opportunities to share your faith with others every single day. Every day you should be telling someone as the Lord gives you opportunities. And the Lord is still working in hearts. Jesus is still changing lives. And there's someone that may be in your life and you don't know what's going on in their life. They may be thinking about suicide tomorrow and you don't know it. And Jesus may put you in their path because he wants you to speak life to them. And you have an opportunity. So be open. Some of you, you call yourself a Christian, but nobody would know it. Some of you, you call yourself a Christian, and you read your Bible once a week, every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. And that's it. But if you want to go to another level, and you need to open up this box, here's what it is. It's dying to yourself, losing your life, a willingness to do whatever he wants, trusting him with relationships, trusting him with your future, Trusting him with everything, casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's First Peter. That's that life. Here it comes. The Pharisees replied, you're making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. And Jesus told them, these claims are valid enough, even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I'm not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. Where is your Father? They asked. Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury. But he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. Later, say later with me, later. Jesus said to them again, I'm going away. You will search for me, but will die in your sin. You cannot come where I'm going. The people asked, is he planning to commit suicide? What does he mean you cannot come where I'm going? Jesus continued, you are from below and I am from above. You belong to this world. I do not. That is why I said that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Who are you? They demanded. Who are you? You know what's interesting to me in this whole story? In this story, in John chapter 8 at least, there's only one person that received who Jesus was. You know who it was? It was that woman. Neither do I go and sin no more. And when you look at scripture, you know who gave Jesus the hardest time? The religious people. Because they had Jesus in a box and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm bigger than your box. I'm bigger than the law. No, 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 no. You don't get it. It's not just about you. It's about the world. No, 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 no. You don't get it. Throw down the rocks. Yeah, no, no, no. You don't get it. She's, yeah, 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 yeah. Obedience will be there, but grace is going to come first. 
and grace will continue. You don't get it. Some of you need to, to open up this box and you need to let Jesus invade every dark room in your house. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus sees you. He sees every room. He is the light of the world. Some of you might know, well, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's your everything. He's your everything. He will, I, guys, I'm just telling you, the life I have, I don't deserve. And a lot of you can say the same thing. God uses another calculator. When you honor God with your life, some of you need to honor God with your finances and you haven't done that and you call yourself a Christian. What pleases God when you honor him with every part of your life, including your finances, including giving? And the Bible calls it tithing. That's the beginning. That's not the top. It's the bottom. And, and God wants you to honor him with that as well as every other compartment of your life relationships, your sex life, your, your, your life on your phone, everything. He wants you to honor him with every part of your life. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this is it. Giddy up, guys. We're just beginning. This is just week one here. <laughs> Giddy up. Well, let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Just praise you, Lord. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord Jesus. Nobody else like you. Now I want to pray for the person who maybe is not a Christian. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe you need to say this. Say, Jesus, I, I want to become a Christian right now. And I ask you to be my Lord. I ask you to be my Savior. Um, just invade my heart. Invade all the dark places of my life. Forgive me for my sins. I need your grace. Teach me how to walk with you. Teach me to know your voice and to sense your leading and take over my life. I give my life to you right now. Others of you, you might call yourself a follower, but maybe you have Jesus in a box. And maybe Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. Maybe Jesus wants to use you. Maybe he wants to speak through you. Maybe he wants you to take a step of obedience. Would you just tell Jesus, Jesus, I'm in. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Have your way. Thank you, Lord, for the good souls here at church. Thank you for the sunshine and the snow. Thank you for the breath in our, in our lungs. Would you continue to have your way in us? May we come to know you, Jesus, at a new level. May we learn the fellowship of your Holy Spirit and learn what it means to walk in step with your spirit. Use us in a way that's just crazy and that could only be explained if we include you in the description. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.